Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. I'm reading it from the New King James Version Bible, Hebrews 6, 13 through 18. And I'll, I'll say to you today that the subject of my sermon today, or the title of my sermon today, is Last Hope. Last Hope. Hebrews 6, 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it with an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would give us understanding, that you would illuminate our minds, and that you would activate our hearts, we pray, as we approach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. When God made a promise to Abraham, the author of Hebrews says, he confirmed it with an oath. First it says, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you. Now in order to understand the background of this passage of scripture, you've got to know what happened in Genesis 22. And in order to understand the background of Genesis 2, you got to understand what happened in Genesis 18, and in order to understand the background of Genesis 18, you got to understand Genesis 15, and then you got to understand Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, actually at the end of Genesis 11, God called Abraham and told him to go to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance. Genesis 12, Abraham obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going, and then God promised him that he would make him a father of many nations, and that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. He said, I'll bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. Abraham gets to the promised land and immediately experiences hardship and famine. The first thing that we must understand is that if God is giving you a promise of blessing, it's almost certainly in a time that does not look like blessing. God often, almost always, promises blessing in the midst of famine, causes generational blessings in the midst of barrenness. It's when your fields are bearing no fruit that God promises fruitfulness. And this is the thing, is that when it looks like you've been cursed, by revelation God says you're blessed. And when it looks like you've suffered the loss of all things, by revelation God says you're about to inherit the earth. God's promise always comes in the midst of a reality that is the opposite. And so Abraham is barren, and now he's isolated and alone, and God comes to him and says, I'm going to make your descendants like the sands of the sea. In Genesis 15, God comes to him again and says, Don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your very great reward. And Abraham responds, Well, what are you going to do for me, seeing that I go childless? And Eliezer of Damascus, my slave, is my heir. And God says, no, 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 a son is going to come from your own body. God promises him, look up at the stars and count them. I can't count them. That's how your kids are going to be. 
Look at the sands of the sea and count them. I can't count them. That's how your children are going to be. So that it'll be said that if anyone could count the stars, then Abraham's children could be counted. And it said in Genesis 15, 7, that Abraham believed the Lord and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord, not his circumstance. I could stop it right here and we could say the closing prayer and go home. Because if all you got out of this message is that faith is believing the Lord and not your circumstance, and you go home and apply that every day, that is the recipe for victory. Believe the Lord and not your circumstance. He was childless, but God said, you're the father of many nations. He believed the Lord and not his circumstance. That's the recipe for blessing. And then, of course, Genesis 18, when the child is born, the promise is fulfilled. And Abraham thinks, this is it. He's like a hundred. Sarah's like 80. That's it. This is it. This is the promise. If this ain't it, there ain't going to be an it. This is my last hope. God promised, I got this, this is it. And then you get to Genesis 22, and God says, Take your son Isaac, whom you love, and sacrifice him to me as a burnt offering in the place I'll show you. God says, I want you to take your last hope and put it to death. I want you to take the fulfillment of the promise that I gave you and put it to death. And Abraham wrestled with God all night long, but in the morning he submitted to God. And he, he woke his son Isaac up and said, saddle up the donkey, we got a journey to go. And he took three young men with him and they journeyed, said, where are we going? I don't know, the Lord will show us. Three days they arrived at Mount Moriah. Later, uh, Paul would say that Abraham had suffered the death of his son for three days. Somebody else suffered the death of his son for three days. God says that's the place Abraham takes his child and he takes the wood and he takes the fire. They start going up the mountain. Isaac says, I see the wood, I see the fire, I don't see the sacrifice. Abraham says, the Lord will provide a sacrifice, son. Translation, you to sacrifice. <laughs> they get to the mountain, they build the altar, and it says Abraham moved quickly. He grabbed his son, bound him, laid him on the altar on top of the wood and quickly lifted the knife. He thought, if this is what God wants me to do, I better do it quickly. Listen, the key to victory is quick obedience. Move swiftly. If I move slowly, I'll never do it. Some of us procrastinate to do what God calls us to do, and, that, and what, what we don't realize is when we procrastinate on our obedience, we delay the blessing. And when Abraham lifts the knife to obey God, the angel of the Lord cries out to him from heaven and says, Stop! Don't lay a hand on the child. Now I know that you will not withhold from me your son, your only son. And then here it is. If you can put it up on the screen, it's Genesis chapter 22, verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven, verse 16, and said, By myself I have sworn... Another translation says, I swear by myself, God says. I swear by myself, says the Lord, 
Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the star of heaven and as, as stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. God says, I swear by me. You hear people say things like, this is on my mama. Or you hear people say, on God, on God, on my mama, on my mama's grave or whatever. You're always thinking of something greater than yourself. The author of Hebrews says, men indeed swear by the greater and the oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. But God, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. On me, God says. On me. In the name of me, I'm telling you. I swear by me, God says. I swear by myself. Meaning if I violate this promise, I violate it myself. If I violate this promise, I have to surrender my throne if I violate this promise, I'll be less than who I am. If I violate this promise, I will have violated myself on me, God says. There's nothing greater that he could swear on but himself. I swear by myself, God says. And when God swears by himself, you think he's just playing? You think it's a maybe? You think it's a precarious situation? You better believe that when God swears by himself, it is done. There's no if, ands, or buts. There's no maybes. You can take that to the bank and rest on it. It is done. You can put a fork in it. It is done. When God swears by himself, he does so to end all controversy. Put that Hebrews chapter 6 verse passage, uh, that sixth passage up there again. He says, verse 17, thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. Now, wait a minute. Stop there on this verse. He's talking about God's interaction with Abraham, where God swore by himself to Abraham that in blessing I will bless you, and in multiplying I will multiply you. And so we read that passage and say, that's cool that God promised to Abraham, like, but God never swore by himself a promise to me. So if I were Abraham, I'd be cool. God swore by himself that in blessing he was going to bless me. But the author of Hebrews says, God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. The author of Hebrews says, God swore by himself to Abraham because he wanted to convince you that his promise is unchanging. The word immutable means unchangeable. The immutability of his counsel, the unchangeability of his counsel. God wanted you to know that if he's determined to bless you, nothing in heaven, earth, or under the earth can change it. Which literally means that his promise to Abraham was to Abraham and his seed. Which means it's to you. God swore, why did God swear by himself to Abraham? To give you confidence. Not just to give Abraham confidence, to give you confidence. 
So that when you are on your Mount Moriah and you're suffering the loss, the death of your last hope, the whole point of that interaction with Abraham on Mount Moriah is that in order to obtain the blessing, you must first be willing to suffer the loss of your last hope. The last hope. That's the one thing we're not willing to suffer the loss of. I mean, I know that she's not walking with the Lord, but she's my last hope to get married. I know he's not a believer, but he's the only one who wants to marry me, and I'm getting up in age. He's my last hope. I mean, I know it's, it's, not, a, it's not a godly situation, but it's my last hope. I know it's not the job I'm supposed to take, but it's my last hope. I know it's not the opportunity that God would approve of, but it's my last hope. I know that I'm not supposed to be equally, unequally yoked with an unbeliever, but it's my last hope. My last hope is the one thing I'm not willing to part with. We all come to a moment, a situation in life in which you've got to choose between God and your last hope. And if you choose your last hope, that's all you get. But there's a blessing waiting on the other side of your last hope that's beyond anything you can imagine. And some of you here today have experienced great blessing in your life, but you're too young to have ever experienced coming to the edge of your last hope and having to surrender to God. You have no idea the storm that's coming for you one day. You have no idea the trial and the temptation that you're going to have to face one day. But there's good news in it because you also have no idea what kind of blessing that God... Listen, you need to stop and look at all of the blessings of your life and say, but I still haven't figured out what the last hope is that God's called me to surrender. And if God's blessed me with all this before I laid Isaac on the altar, I can't imagine the blessing that's coming afterward. Now, God says to Abraham, now that I know that there's nothing in this world that you'll withhold from me, that even after suffering the loss of everything, and you're a hunted, and there's no hope of anything after this, but you're still willing to sacrifice it. You're still willing to give it to me. You're still willing to surrender your career to me with no promise of anything afterward. You're still willing to give me your sexual purity, even though there's no hopes on the horizon of anybody interested in you. You're still willing to stay faithful to your spouse, even though there's no hope of them ever changing. You're still willing to surrender to me your last hope. God says, I swear by myself that this is not the end of the story. I swear by myself that you're not going to die in a famine. I swear by myself that in blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply you. God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, so that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
What are the two immutable things, the two unchangeable things? Number one, the promise, and number two, the oath. All God had to say was, I will bless you. That would have been enough. But God says, I'm going to add a second unchangeable thing, an oath. I swear by myself that I will bless you. It's more than enough. It's overkill. God says, I'm going to outdo myself. I'm going to overdo it at this moment because I can see how discouraged you are. I can see how disappointed you are. And I can see how afraid you are that you're never going to figure out how to walk in victory, that you're never going to make it out of this storm, that you're never going to find the path, that you're never going to stand in the faith, that you, the, the place that you believed yourself destined to stand. So I swear it by an oath. I swear by myself that blessing I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply you. He says that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to lay hold of the hope held before us might be greatly encouraged. We might be greatly encouraged. We who have fled to lay hold of the hope held before us, might be greatly encouraged. That's the Hebrews 6.18, I believe it is. Put that back up. I want you to see it. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. We might be greatly encouraged. Every day, I'm running to lay hold of the hope set before me. That's the Christian life. Every day, I'm facing hopelessness of some kind or another. And I'm fleeing to lay hold of the hope that's set before me. God is always setting hope before me. And he does it in the form of his promises. And I have a choice every day. But listen, if you're going to lay hold of the hope that's set before you, you've got to flee. You've got to run for your life to lay hold of the hope set before you. Because God could give you the soundest promise that you've ever received before in your life. And you will wake up tomorrow not believing it. You wake up in that unbelief and that fear and that disappointment, you've got to flee. Run for your life and lay hold of that hope. And every time you run for your life and lay hold of that hope, you're greatly encouraged. But the day you embrace the lie, the day you let go of the hope, that's where discouragement sets in. And you start feeling like, I just want to lay down and die. Remember, we uh, came to Emeryville in 2004 with humongous dreams and humongous vision. Going to see multitudes of people come to Jesus. Suffered a thousand disappointments. We hired a consultant. He came and looked at our situation and said, what you need is a building. Churches don't last 10 years without a building. You've been at it for 16. You shouldn't even exist anymore. The fact that you exist is a symbol of the grace of God, that God's still with you. But if you get a building looking at the ministry that you have, it's going to explode. And you know what? God gave us a building. And you know what? It exploded for about five minutes. How many were here for grand opening month? 
December 2021. Woo! Fuego. Every seat was filled from the front to the back, standing room only, and then we packed the overflow room. Every room in this building was filled. There was no space. Ended the year with a super spreader. COVID decided to come to church too. And Omarion was dancing right through the midst of us. Blast that Omarion. I didn't realize till later that this building was my last hope. Because we had tried everything and nothing had worked. But the last thing we needed was a building. And when that fell through, when that wave got slapped down by COVID and we started 2022 meeting online again, when we finally went back to live services again in February and nobody came back, and we had services in here where I could throw a rock, I could close my eyes and just throw a rock and not hit anybody. I could drive a Sherman tank through this congregation and nobody would get hurt. It was so discouraging, so disappointing, and I realized this building was my last hope, and it failed. And what we don't realize is that God will not allow anything to be our last hope. Because when you suffer the loss of your last hope, that's when God reveals himself to be your only hope. Some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. He does not take pleasure in the legs of a man or in the strength of a horse. He has mercy on those who fear him. And what t tends to happen is that whenever we put our hope in something, anything, it becomes our all in all. This is it. This is the key. And we think this is the thing that God's going to use. It's this job. It's this person. It's this place. It's this building. It's this trading strategy. It's this investment opportunity. It's this. It's this. And God always causes us to stumble in that. Not always. At, at some, sometimes it works. But often not before we've suffered the loss of our last hope. It's God's way of saying, I'm going to let some stuff work in your life, but not before you learn that that's not your hope. Not before you learn that that stuff is not your hope. Not before you learn that I'm your hope, not the stuff. You're hoping in the stuff instead of hoping in me. If you're hoping in me, you never have to be disappointed because every, all the stuff around you can fail, but I never fail. I'm faithful. You're looking for the building to be faithful when I'm the only one that's faithful. You're looking for the job to be faithful. I'm the only one that's faithful. Some of you are here right now on the precipice of your last hope. And this, the meaning of this message is not that whatever it is you're working on right now is going to fail. That's not the application. The only application to this message is simple. Whatever it is you're working on, it may fail and it may succeed. But whether it fails or succeeds, it's not your hope. It's not your hope. Because at the end of the day, 
Abraham lifted the knife over an Isaac that he would not have to kill. It was a test. At the end of the day, God did fulfill all of his promises to Abraham through Isaac. But not before he dislocated Abraham's heart from seeing Isaac as his only hope. And sometimes we have to go through a process by which God dislocates our hearts from the things in the world that we hope in. And it's typically at that moment that we start accusing God, feeling cursed by God, feeling rejected by God. When at that very moment, God is revealing himself to be the solution to every problem, the answer to every question, to be our hope, our last and only hope. Bow your heads and let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your word. It's from everlasting to everlasting. I thank you that you're sending your word to encourage us today. Lord, there's so many in the house today that have just been walking through deep discouragement, worry, and fear. Strategizing, planning, and plans continue to fail, and strategies continue to come to nothing. You suffer the loss of your dreams again and again and again. But Father, I thank you that today you are revealing yourself to be our last hope and our only hope. Lord, instead of putting our trust in riches which are fleeting, we put our trust in the Lord our God. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is the will of the Lord that prevails. And our confidence today is that in all of our planning, in all of our hoping, in all of our dreaming, all of our desiring, the will of the Lord will prevail. So we surrender to you everything in this world that we hope in. We surrender it to you. Doesn't mean you have to quit your job. Doesn't mean you have to break up with your girlfriend. Doesn't mean you have to change the plan that you had to move. That's not the application. The, ser- the application of the sermon is God is your hope, not that thing. Not that person. Not that opportunity. God is your hope. So Father, today, We embrace you as our hope, and we flee to lay hold of the hope held out before us. Today, we flee to lay hold of the hope held out before us, and that's the word of the Lord to you. That's the command of the Lord. That is where God is calling us. He's calling us to flee, flee from your unbelief and flee from your disillusionment and flee from your discouragement and lay hold of the hope that is held before you. There's hope held before you today, but you've got to flee to lay hold of it. And if you flee to lay hold of it, you're going to be greatly encouraged. If you flee to lay hold of it, you're going to be greatly encouraged. You see, so many of us want encouragement to come to us. We don't want to expend any effort. But God says, no, you've got to flee to lay hold of it. You've got to run for your life. You're sitting in a city that's burning to the ground. You've got to flee. You've got to run for your life. There's hope held before you, but you've got to run and take it. There's hope held before you. But you got to run and take it. And your hope is in the promise of a God who swears by himself, who cannot lie, 
cannot lie. So, Father, I just speak your blessing over this body today. And I pray that you would inspire our hearts to flee, to run, to lay hold of the hope set before us. And then he goes on to say, and we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Father, let our souls be anchored in the hope that he who promises is faithful. We give you all of the glory and all of the honor and all of the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, stand up on your feet and give God a shout of praise.